You're listening to Exceptions Welcome, the podcast for programming bootcamp graduates and other new or early career software developers. We're your hosts, Ben Wilhelm and Colin Miller. We're a couple of self-taught developers with 25 years of experience between us, and we met as bootcamp instructors. Uh, we thought there was more to be said after the graduation day. Today, Colin and I are discussing the role of documentation in a project and on a team. ideas for it uh one is to improve our documentation situation uh, and at least figure out like what is the index resource for Mm -hmm. a developer so there is a lot of stuff but a lot of it is like the the index source is a like table of contents view on a like what's really missing is like the the front page of that index structure that is like, hey, you're about to read this documentation. Here's what you should know about reading it. Like, are you saying it lacks the some kind of automatically generated index like that, or that it lacks a place for you to author sort of an entry point? I think it lacks us having authored it. Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a failing of the tool; it's a failing yeah. of the team. Yeah, I wouldn't say failing of the team, just like a a natural consequence of the people who need the documentation right now are all in the midst of developing it. So they kind of have built up whatever their bookmarking or personal information indexing process to know where to look for what. Uh But if you're coming in new and you're like, I don't know where to look for what. And as kind as we want to say to be like, there's a limit to how many times a new person is going to ask for help. About like, right. hey, where do I find this thing that I feel like my imposter syndrome is telling me should be obvious? And you do that like 10 times in one day or 10 times in a week. Whatever your limit is, you start to be like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking too helpless. Mm-hmm. And as much as we might say, it's okay. Like you're supposed to be asking for help. Like we should also take the responsibility to like create that help. Yeah. Maybe the way that we... T- work in documentation is we all like make each other and make ourselves feel like bystanders to the documentation. What do you mean by that? That like the state of the documentation is a thing that has just happened to all of us and sort of like everyone is eyeing it and they're like, am I going to fix it? Are you going to fix it? Are we going to, to dedicate that, that time that it's really easy to like, uh, we'll do, we'll close tickets and write code instead. Right. Well, this is why I always think that I'm I'm always so much more in favor of like uh, knowledge being propagated and reinforced through ritual and standard operating procedure than documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you always need some amount of documentation, but you know. Oral history, for better or for worse, can shift much faster than than written history, or let's say in practice it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I've you know I like the um, group code review as a way to sort of document and reinforce best practices or architectural guidelines or things that that we as a team agree on are the way to, to do things. Um, 
you know, as well as like sprint retrospectives and stuff like that. Um, and just sort of allow as much as possible, allow that stuff to emerge and be agreed upon organically and mm -hmm. reinforced orally and, and, um, fluidly is the word I've, yeah. that comes to mind, but is not quite the right word, but like, it, it's much more adaptable that way and keeps up with, with reality. Of course, then you end up with, there are things that then get left behind. There are things that like no one has touched in three years. No one who worked here then works here now and nobody knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I've never really found, like, I think that balance is, is to be struck for every team. I've never found a system that works perfectly much like software development on the whole. <laughs> I think if I think about I like the, perfect. the best version of like discourse based documentation, uh -huh. I think might be linters. Okay. Go on. So at least in term, I mean, there, there, there's some things that when you say that, like, Oh, that's incredibly difficult to, to lint, but in terms of like, style or structure or usage pat patterns linters can be like much more specific than i think they often yeah. get used to be yeah uh well but but that's in a that's a very specific layer of of the whole mm -hmm. you know your linter isn't going to enforce architectural patterns as of yet, I wonder, like, I, that's what I'm trying to, like, imagine, like, is there uh, a, is there a version of a lyncher that is a little bit better at letting you know, essentially what I'm asking for is Clippy, right? Like, <laughs> hey, it looks like you're creating, you know, mm -hmm. a new entity in the system. Have you thought about uh, all the things that you've got to do here? What would you say to the the suggestion that if you have not explicitly written down and documented your conventions in patterns, there's a high likelihood that they're not as conventional or pattern-based as you think they might be? I would say that is probably true, and that is probably okay. Because, especially in the case of, of a, you know, a startup team like you're working in, the like conventions and patterns shift, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that everyone every day looks at something and sees some, uh, sees a new way that you can do things. And if you are, if you're trying to document rigorously how you do things and keep the conventions, you know, very strict, if you have specific conventions that, you know, say you have like, you know, you have compliance issues. If you have something that like you're in a regulated industry, that's one thing. But if you're talking about like, well, how do we as a team approach problems generally? I don't think it's, I think it's fine that that is somewhat loose, that as long as the team on the whole, like, this is why I think that 
that group review is a good mechanism for this because it allows people to see how other people are doing things and discuss them. And again, depending on the team, allows space for people to sort of take or leave what they see from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you then end up with sort of, I would say like a, a, a range or a window within which people can operate. Um, <clears throat> rather than having a canonical list of like, this is how we do things, which is either stifling and or ignored and or totally out of date. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like where where I struggle with is we find different ways to do things, but then so what is the thing that is changing that makes coming up with different ways to do things for decades a valid approach to building software? Like what what is different about the actual like ground truth of software building that has changed that means that in decades we can't like consolidate around an actual set of fairly like consistent patterns say more like like woodworking uh Mm -hmm. like joinery is a craft that you can get really good at and there are very clear reasons why you should or should not use particular joints on different corners based on like where the load is and how it will move over time and that's sort of that's consistent because like woodworking is you have wood you can cut you can glue and gravity always goes like one direction. Mm -hmm. I would say probably the biggest thing, the biggest thing standing in the way of what you're describing is a too broad. I'm not going to say too broad, but a, a range of exposure to different approaches of doing things, different ways of, so like you could say, I mean, how many how many people on your team have read design patterns? Have read Gang of Four, right? Yeah. You could use, say, all of those as shorthand for something like, well, this is where you would use whatever a dovetail joint. Uh, this is where you would use. Now suddenly I'm blanking on <laughs> a good. You know, this is where you'd use a singleton pattern or. Um, I think that it's a it it because you have such a range of seniority and a range of backgrounds and exposure to the to any sort of formalized way of doing things formalized design patterns or formalized theories you're going to have a harder time trying to trying to enforce them in practicality it like when you're actually solving problems to give real guidelines around around them yeah i think and we've we've talked around this area before and i think what is very like interesting to me like where i want to look at it from is like the basics of computer art, art architecture have been nearly stagnant uh for mm-hmm. 40 or 50 years from the perspective of application de- developers. It's like very different if you're getting to more specialized parts. Like if you are working at the level of like chipset ar- ar- architecture, I-, I gather that has changed. But if you're building apps, there's like, you've got 
long-term storage, short-term memory comp computation, and then probably some sort of tree-based abstraction to display uh, hierarchical information. And mm -hmm. then you have a socket uh, for anything that might take a while to return information. And it, it seems like, I mean, this is like why Babel is called Babel, but it's sort of like the problems that I think software engineering has with having too many patterns are sort of like, we have done this to ourselves. Like we, we have overvalued the pitch of programming is like, look, you get to exercise your, your intellect and craft novel solutions to novel problems. And I think what I'm trying to push back is say like, wait, wait a second. Like what if, <laughs> what, what would the world be like if architecture, our, our architecture worked like that? If it was pitches like, hey, there's like all these materials, you can put them together in any way that you want. Uh, and like, we should try to come up with a combinatorial explosion of basic architectural patterns. Like if every house, like things like, uh, what happens here? Okay. okay. This shows up a little bit in like house building stick construction is like how far apart are studs? 16 inches or 18 inches or 24 inches. But, but like for, 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 for the most part, right. It is one of those. Uh, yeah. And it is like, would be considered like probably widely held best practice that like in one room, if not in one building, you'd use the same distance for the whole project. Right. Uh, and I, I think that what software development seems to encourage and celebrate is like changing the stud width several times in the lifespan of a project. Yeah. And we tell ourselves that this is a good thing. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little on that. If you're going to go with that construction analogy, mm -hmm. imagine. So I live in a hundred year old house with an addition that is probably 15 or 20 years old. Those two those two parts of my house are wildly different in their construction and the, the considerations I have to consider for a little redundancy there. Um, when I'm say hanging something in a wall in one part of my house versus the other are very different. You know, one is plaster. I can, uh, it's hard to find a stud because there's too many layers. There's plaster and lath and then the stud behind it. I don't know if they're 16 inches apart. The other part is drywall over 16 inch uh, centered studs, much easier to find. Like the, while yes, the underlying architecture of computers has not changed in the last 40 or 50 years, the, I would say the state of the art has changed rapidly. And so I would, I would say that you're seeing a lot of those sorts of, when you say that, you know, over the course of the lifetime of a product, the lifetime of a piece of software, you'll change approaches several times. I think a century for a house and 10 years for a piece of software are, are probably about roughly the same. 
you know, that like that's a good long lifespan for a building or a good long lifespan for a, a piece of software and conventions are going to change. Hmm. Am I opposing or reinforcing your, your point? <laughs> well, something that I'm thinking about is that uh, like you probably have this nice thing where like <laughs> the different sections of the house are very well encapsulated. Uh, and that if they are, like an extension built on next to the house uh, versus mm -hmm. like, I think what I'm talking about is if I think that if houses were built, like software is built, then you would have like different stud width in the same room. I see what you're saying. Like, and several times over uh, like it would be like, yeah, I, th I think maybe something that informed the way I'm thinking about it now is especially was teaching at a at a boot camp for for three years, where we did have a a fairly stable stack and a very stable mm -hmm. set of requirements that we got to repeat and watch students do time and time and time again, and I think what that did for me was really ratchet up the the value that, that I saw in, in having as simple as possible patterns that achieved whatever you need to determine is called production worthiness. Mm -hmm. And that having like more uses of simple patterns over fewer uses of complex patterns uh, as like a extremely important value to have uh, i'm thinking of like a maybe what i'm thinking about it is like i feel like what what often f makes this question of like improving the way that we do things is that attempts to improve the way that that you do things often like engineers try to do them at the same time that they're trying to do things and yeah. when there is a conflict between those two things, the improvement gets dropped and you continue to do things. So I think what I see is the problem is like the, the way that improvements to process or convention occur in this sort of very fl fl fluid way is that it's not that you could like see this like straight line of improvements in the code that you write. It's that you see like several like cul-de-sacs of improvements that were attempted and given up before they caught on. And this is why, like, and I think that's why I say that if you haven't like documented it clearly, that fluid style may result in lots of people having slightly different ideas of like, this is what the idealized process is. The fact that we're not doing it right now is like, because of like pragmatic reasons and, and not because the, the improvements were invalid. And mm -hmm. I think that there's like a lot of, can be a, a lot of mismatch between many members of, of a team based on like, where are they personally in their like yardstick of like, ah, uh, this improvement that I'm like trying to like do piecemeal over two years because this thing is always, has always bothered me. I might think like that our convention is the 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 end goal of that process when in practice our convention is like 
just do whatever is around you when when you're writing code. I'm going to propose that a, a sort of salve, sal, salve, how do you pronounce yeah. that word? Sav? S-A-L-V-E, salve. It's a salve. And salve for this problem could be to use, uh, let's say, older, less sexy technologies, more stable that have like uh, better established conventions and patterns. Yeah. A way that I might think about it is, do you know about the Intel TikTok approach? No. This is uh, not TikTok, the social media platform. No. This is, okay. I, don't, I don't know it very well, but I think the general approach is that they, and now this is different th than software because they're on like a very waterfall-y thing, right? Right. But they go in two cycles and they call them TikTok. And maybe this isn't true right now, but at least historically what they did is like they had, uh, I think there was like essentially two ways that you, that you, you could think about uh, building your next version of your CPUs. And one was to do a, an architectural improvement of the design of the CPU. And one was to focus on a process improvement of the way that you manufacture the CPU. So making things like more miniaturized, uh, better yields of, of good good chips, or you could actually look at the design of the circuitry and like restructure that. And the, the TikTok approach says you should not try to do both things at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, this is similar to the, uh, the airframe engine approach for planes is like any new plane should either have a new airframe or a new engine, but never both at the same time. Right. And I, I kind of feel like this might be true of patterns in software is like we should not be trying to be getting productive work done on a schedule and trying to make process improvements to our conventions in, in patterns in the same like unit of work. Yeah, that makes sense to me. There's a, a quote. It's often attributed to John Cage, but it's actually from his <laughs> one, one of his uh artistic mentors hmm. um and i'm gonna totally butcher it but it basically says you can't create and edit at the same time that they're they're different processes you don't don't do both at once yeah i think like this came up in a, a recent retro about uh some ticket that had taken a lot longer than anybody expected it to take and okay. the the resolution of that particular ticket was finally like it was enough of a blocker that other people were like brought in to to look at it and the the answer was like oh there's a here's a simpler way that we could achieve that uh that user story and then sort of like the current work that had been done to to that point was i wasn't hands-on so i don't really know exactly what it was but you could think of it as like it was put aside and then the new uh smaller approach was 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 built and then that was done very 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 quickly like more close to the original estimate of the task and mm -hmm. in the retro in, in talking about it my sense of what we came to was that there was a like a specific user interaction it was like a part of an on in an, an onboarding flow for for some tool and that that was clear and then there is an attempt to attach onto that ticket an architectural improvement to the overall way that onboarding is done. Oh. 
and that trying to like you know fulfill both of these things at the same time made it very difficult to do yeah that's an interesting interesting idea especially if you are subscribing to the the sort of uh user story stakeholder kind of agile mentality of like this this has to deliver value for someone you know mm-hmm. that those are two different those are two different stakeholders when you describe those two situations the the feature the onboarding is for the perspective from the perspective of the user that's an improvement to the to the user's experience and the architectural improvement is for the product team or for the development you know developers ergonomics or whatever but that but the user doesn't care right so those those are in fact two different concerns and and you're right like should be treated as such Mm -hmm. and one of them i i mean i don't know the details of it one of them might even be sort of even just like a larger more of like a a initiative you know rather than just hey fix this yeah and i think that this is like getting a little further away from from documentation but i'm i'm enjoying where it's going uh, mm-hmm. is that so in like in an agile methodology we give points to things for the user we explicitly in a lot of those like points based si- si- systems do not give points for anything else I feel like that's part in why those like more if the stakeholder is the the engineers themselves like mm-hmm. unless they get an explicit budget for doing those things they have no recourse but to try and sneak those things into the 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 points budget That's interesting cuz I would I would absolutely assign points to architectural upgrades or, or mm. chores like that. What I don't assign points to are bugs yeah. because the, the, the theory is that the, the bug is work that should have been done on something that was already estimated. But yeah, I would assign points. I would assign points to, to those sort of internal tasks. I, maybe I'm in the minority. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. We're getting pretty far away from documentation here. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk a little, I think maybe like recentering on documentation and thinking about our listeners for a second. Yeah. And oh, yeah, listeners. Hi. Say, Hi. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Hi, listeners. <laughs> right, because you and I can have some very, like, senior nasal-gaving opinions about documentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but practically, if I am starting my career or looking to join my first job, what will actually help me succeed as opposed to like career developers looking back and saying like, if I could have done the documentation right, here's how it would have been. Yeah. I'm going to say for me, how do I set up the repository? Mm-hmm. Like how do, how do I get a, my, my dev environment running? Um, and like, so I'm a consultant, so I deal with getting new dev environments running every month or two. (laughs) Um, And nine times out of 10, when I do it, I'm contributing back to the readme, (laughs) everything, every tripping point that I have hit trying to get this dev environment running. 
Um, that's the first thing. The other thing that's always useful to me is has has little to do with the the code and much more to do with the domain, with the, the problem domain. So tell me what are the entities in this, you know, in the problem domain and how do they relate to each other? Um, and what are the the tasks we're accomplishing and what are the the ways that these entities interact with each other? And I can take that and fill in a lot of those blanks by looking at the code. Mm-hmm. And that is the kind of thing that that does not get old nearly so quickly as as trying to actually document architecture. Yeah. If I think about it in that way, I'd say, yeah, it's like big tip is be prepared for disappointment and figure out what are your very practical ways to orient yourself in a code base. And like thinking about entities makes a lot of sense. I think my approach for that would be often, even if there is documentation, I want to find the database schema. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like, the next thing I was going to say. I, I like, that's the thing that helps me make sense of everything else is yeah. like, here's the way that you describe the, the entities, but you know what? The database will never lie. It's not possible for it to be misleading about what is going on. I would say less likely. Because say- I have, I've certainly seen projects where like, oh, you've got these 12 tables that are, oh yeah, we don't use those anymore. Yeah, I know. They look a lot like these other things that we do use. That's the old stuff. This is the new, you know, like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. You you can get legacy cruft like that. Yeah. But but I take your point that like the database is is the source of truth. Yeah. Like at, at some point, everything has to write to it. Everything has to read from it. Yeah. Uh, maybe what I'm sort of saying there is is that as long as you have the right bit of the database to look at, mm-hmm. uh, if you can, you can get better at looking at a schema and interpreting like what that schema means in terms of information that can be stored there and how it's read and look at it. Whereas if you are relying on the way that other engineers talk about the way the application works, that I think it like, is not necessarily always going to be as helpful as we might wish that yeah. it, that communication would be. Uh, that often what that will help me is like looking at the actual schema will help me interpret what other people are saying about the, 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 the program. That if yeah. someone is describing a thing that I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, I can go look at the schema and sort of understand, oh, I wouldn't describe it that way, but now that I've seen you know, those foreign keys, now that I've seen those data types, I can clue into what you're saying now a lot better. Yeah. I think other areas that I often want to go look for is like, where is the routes file? Uh-huh. Uh, hopefully, like, typically frameworks and tools tend to have some level of co-location of routes. Uh, whether it be like one file or an index file in most directories, uh, there is often some way to quickly navigate an API. So you're sort of looking at the core of truth as the database, and you're looking at what can I, like, what do I present to the world as options for manipulating that data? 
by looking at the routes file. I feel like my like my third go-to then is to go to if it's a web application, go to the dev tools and watch the network tab as you use the application. That if I'm thinking like these three things like finding out what is the schema, where is the schema defined if that's in source code or in the database, what are the actual API routes, or I'm sure if you're using something like GraphQL, you could say like, what are all the queries? Uh, mm -hmm. What are all the, the data types? And then observing it in use, like how do these things actually, what is the sequence of those things? And like actually looking at it. I almost feel like if I could only have those three strategies for interpreting source code or have documentation, like I would pick those three. If if you like came to me and said, "Hey, Colin, here's this project. You've never used it. If you can't figure out how to add a feature in like three days, you're gonna die." I'd be like, "Cool, <laughs> throw the documentation away. Throw me at the schema, the API, and the dev console." Like I want to start. I saw there. that James Bond flick. Which one was that? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> because you can't absorb everything just by reading, right? You you have to get in and do and inspect and you know push buttons and break things to really understand how it goes together so to have that sort of to have a structured way like that that you can find entry points into how do i do an inspect and break and poke you can read the manual for driving a car but no one's going to give you a driver's license until you actually figure out how to drive a car right <laughs> yeah and that kind of feels like that works really well for the application that you're building. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wonder also is like another way that this question is, is, is being asked is what about, uh, what about cases where there is good documentation? Like if I'm a, a, a new developer, like how oh, should, should I, I be reading yeah. the, yeah. And like, what should, should I be reading the documentation of those libraries? Yeah. And what should my relationship with that documentation be as I work and as I read it? Hmm. I think when I, when I find myself in that situation, again, I think this also is, you know, there's, there's nothing that is uh gospel here. It, everything, different people have different ways that they're going to work. But when I find myself in that situation, if I'm trying to learn a new framework or a new library within a project that I have to be productive on relatively quickly, I'm going to set aside some time to do whatever their sort of getting started tutorial is. Mm -hmm. Just like get get to know what are the moving parts of this thing. Then also find, say, sort of skim the API documentation, not so much to absorb anything, but to get the lay of it, to get like, what are the what are the main concepts in this library that and again not even to commit them to memory but to remember words that should be triggered again when i go to look at you know when i'm like working through this code and have to figure something out mm -hmm. then i've got a rough understanding of how like sort of the the basic idea of how this library works, the problem it solves and the approach it takes. And I've had a, 
passing familiarity with the documentation such that I can come back to it and find relevant things to look up when I need them. And then Google and Stack Overflow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting this feeling that a really hard thing to do is, all right, let's say I'm using some tool. I'm using, uh, I want to pick something. I think for some reason I want to pick something like Ruby on Rails because it's very big. Uh, mm -hmm. Or maybe let's say if I'm using something on the scale of an ORM, like an object yeah. relational mapper. And I know that I need to do things. And I something that I think that I personally do, Colin does, is I have a pretty well-developed sense for, I don't know how to do a particular thing or if this tool even supplies it, but I know that there's a chance that this tool might su supply it. So I'm gonna go skim through the API references for keywords that sound close to what I'm trying to do. And that is, that's the relationship that I wanna get with documentation and the tools that I'm using is this sense for like, when should I be searching in the documentation for like the needle in the haystack that lets me like do the thing that, that I wanna do in the most conventional way with the most minimal amount of effort? And when do I need to be building something on my own? And I don't know like where that sense comes from. That might be like, I don't know how to develop that, that experience in that it's kind of an intuition for like, Oh, this is yeah. probably going to be in the documentation. So it's worth like, I don't know, like I'll hunt for half an hour. I'll hunt for, for, for an hour. Cause like, I have this feeling like I'm sure that I shouldn't have to know how to do this myself. It's gotta be pointed to somewhere in the documentation. Well, that's why that's sort of what I was getting at when I said, I, I skim the documentation for the the sort of major sections and major ideas of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is often helpful. So to at least give, you know, oh, that, well, if I'm looking for that thing, it's probably going to be maybe over in this section. Uh, it's related to this thing that I remember noticing over here. I wonder if it, you know, it sort of gives me a starting place to look. But I think you're also describing... So I think there are there's maybe two different situations here that you're describing. One is if you are relatively so if you're brand new to the team and relatively new to software engineering generally, um, so that is to say you're you're fairly junior, fairly green, um, you are probably going to spend a lot of your time in the beginning on features that have patterns you can you can copy like someone has already solved most of these things for you and maybe that's exactly what we're trying to get at is how do you reinforce those patterns to make sure they are consistent so that when someone new comes in you say yes when you have to do this here look at how i solved this over here and then that you that engineer can look at that can copy it to some degree, can recognize method names or configuration 
arguments that they don't recognize um, and, and go look them up and figure out what, you know, fill those gaps in that sort of specific way to understand, like, here are the things that I'm missing. They are named and I can look them up. Mm-hmm. I think that it is someone who has been on a team and doing this longer. Let's say someone who's been on a team longer who is going to have to jump in and figure out how to do something with a framework they don't know quickly without any patterns. I'm going to say they're either... All right, I'm going to qualify this again. They're either uh, have longer experience with the team or longer experience generally in software development. If you are fairly green no one in their right mind is going to drop you in the middle of a project that's full of technology you've never used before without some mentorship or patterns to copy. Like you're just being set up for failure there. Yeah. Which doesn't help you if that is indeed the case that you find yourself. (laughs) But if you're, if you're having trouble, don't feel bad about yourself. (laughs) I did have a thought for like a, occasionally a, a heuristic for me for knowing like when should I be when should I be like trying to solve a problem independently out of the parts that are in front of me and when should I be looking for an ex like another part to use. Uh huh. What is that heuristic? That sounds valuable. That heuristic is uh have do enough people have the same problem that I have right now and are enough people using the same tool that I'm using is the way that I'm trying to do it harder than that volume of people would accept. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the, like what the measurement on that heuristic is, but I have often had success like working on a thing and I'm trying to create a solution out of parts. And I'm like, wait a second, everybody wants to do this. Everybody has this use case. Uh, It is wild that I am having to construct a solution on my own from some tool. So a specific example is an OAuth tool in uh, node for express called passport. Mm -hmm. And forget exactly what it is, but there's some API hook that it provides to you where you give it a callback and it calls your function with some information about the completed OAuth session. And there's one of the tokens, either like the access token or the refresh token that would be really valuable to have in that callback. But by default, you don't have it. And so I've spent time like trying to figure out how can we like force access to it somewhere? Can we like stash it somewhere else and then pull it through a side channel over here? And after like thinking through that for like an hour or so, I was like, wait a second. This is the point of of, of OAuth. The purpose of OAuth is to get this token. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be like, if it's this hard to do this, this library would not be this well used. Uh, people would right. get up for something that does the, the point of OAuth. And then with that mindset, I went back to the documentation. I found the Boolean flag that you have to pass into something. And there you have that 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 token. And uh-huh. I feel like that's a hard, there's a there's like a, a describable reason for crossing that 
that like approach to I'm problem solving versus I should be referencing documentation or asking for for help. But it feels like it's it's the beginning of a way of of thinking about it is like thinking like, oh, yeah, none of the documentation, none of the code was created in a vacuum. I can try to like rationalize what's the difference between my situation and like the the average other sit sit situation of everybody else either on this team or in the open source community that i'm involved in and think like would they would they have done this already for me would somebody else have asked and answered this question would somebody else have asked and answered this question so many times that they have written down the answers somewhere or there's value in asking them what their answer was Mm -hmm. i think though that that's something you would gain over time like you have a a long history and a long a long career to have gained those sorts of instincts and intuitions. Right. I think that for our specific listeners, that may be a a little bit more of a stretch. Yeah, I think maybe if if, if I think for our listeners, it would just be. I don't know personally of a way to suggest to like build that intuition faster than I did. But I also know that if you could build that intuition faster than than I did, you would have less frustration than I did earlier. Well, you know what this actually gets to something that that I feel pretty strongly about generally, which is the the best way to become a good software engineer is to give up trying to know everything. And instead, try to understand what role does any particular piece fit into? Why exactly what you described? Why is this here? Oh, this is the purpose of OAuth, you said, is to get this token. Like the whole reason for OAuth is to get this token. The more that you can understand the purposes of individual pieces within the stack as a whole, instead of thinking, well, I've this is instead of the sort of the lump of clay approach where I sort of shape, you know, sculpt away everything that is not my web app that I want. You, you are understanding the, the role and the interchangeability of each of those, of each of the components that you bring into the stack or each of the pieces that are there, the more you can recognize those for what they are, the better you will understand the, I, I think like the the more quickly you will develop intuition around what something can or cannot do and when you need to start building your own solutions versus finding a solution within the API of whatever tool you're using. Mm-hmm. I would really like to know, this seems like we're, we're getting this to an area of discussion that... Uh, like it's a domain of knowledge, which is this level of metacognition around how do human brains relate to their own knowledge of the way that they construct their own knowledge about the things that they're doing. Like, damn it, Colin. <laughs> there is no, I can think of like no specific reason why software developers as a whole should be particularly good at that type of mm-hmm. like research and understanding that like there are, like there's a whole field of science of like human behavior and epistemology that focuses on that. And 
like I would bet that there are there is some ac academic field that has a lot more to say about like what is the role of documentation in human knowledge and in human productive activity in the abstract that would be very true of programming mm -hmm. and I think that there's this sense in amongst programmers that often like we think that all the knowledge about the craft of the field needs to be determined by the field itself. Mm -hmm. When it's like, I don't know, maybe the role of documentation in, in human work is a specific field of knowledge to itself and programmers should look to that field to tell us how, how do our brains work? All right. I think this is a great place to end with our next step being who can we find outside of our industry who might think about this yeah and have them on here to tell us what is the role of documentation generally in human endeavors yeah all right i'll put that on the list Hey, if you want to help other early career developers find our show, we'd appreciate it if you left us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash exceptions welcome. Thanks. We started with what's the role of documentation and we ended with I don't know. Let's figure out who to go ask. Yeah. Right. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn it. Right. Yeah, that that is like a, a perfect microcosm of my point about documentation is, is like this intuition of like, wait a second. How many people have this problem? Is it just me? Right. No, it's other people. Wait a second. No. Programming is not the only complex field of work where documentation is required.